Hello, Ryerson. It's Friday, January 24th, and this is Blue and Gold. For the Ryersonian, I'm your host, Dan Drigo. And I'm your host, Latoya Powell. This week, Nagin Kodiyari joins us in the studio to speak about her experience as an Iranian-Canadian in the wake of the recent events. Later in the show, Ryersonian news editor Regina Dixon will share the stories of two Ryerson alumnus who were on board the Ukrainian International Airlines Flight 752. Historically, Iran and the U.S. have had strained relationships. This reached new levels in recent weeks after a targeted American airstrike killed Iranian Major General Qasim Soleimani on January 3rd. Five days later, a Ukrainian passenger flight en route from Tehran to Kyiv was shot down by Iranian forces shortly after takeoff. All 176 passengers and crew members were killed, including 57 Canadians. Nagin Kodiari is an Iranian-Canadian whose love for both countries defines her. She wrote at length on her intersectional perspective in an article for the eye-opener last week and is joining us in studio today. Nagin, thank you so much for sitting down to talk with us. Of course. Thank you for having me. Awesome. I just wanted to, first of all, go through your uh, article from last week. Uh, Just wanted to basically break down your motivation uh, for creating it. If you could give us a little walkthrough on that. Yeah, well... um To be honest, the article originally started more as a poem, um, and I wrote that the first few days of January when a lot of news was breaking out about political tensions rising between Iran and um, the U.S., and I was just going through comments on social media, and I was seeing things and reading things, and it really just consumed me, and I had to just put my phone away and let it out. Um, The original piece was this, like, angry upset poem essentially and I just sent it to the eye because I I just wanted to do something even though I I thought maybe they wouldn't accept it because they usually don't do personal stories but I was lucky they did and they just gave me suggestions to make it more um, of what they usually publish and here we are. Awesome I just wanted to see from your perspective um, obviously, the, you're motivated by the poem and the events of the past few weeks. Um, what, have, from your perspective, what has that been like being an Iranian Canadian and watching this essentially from afar? Um, it's been frustrating, and like I do say in the article, kind of um, makes me feel a little guilty. Um, frustrating because. There's a lot of information that, that is just out there for everyone to see, and not all of it is necessarily true. And if it is true, um, there there are other truths to it. There are many perspectives, and issues like these are always difficult to really capture what the people are really feeling. Because um, what, what you see maybe on paper isn't necessarily what um, the actual people in that country are, are going through. Um, and then me being here, that's where the guilt comes in because I'm here sitting in my bedroom, reading these articles, seeing the people who are risking their lives, um, and I don't really have that type of um, circumstance. So it's just like a battle of um, moral, really, of, of how much is it okay for me to be upset without 
it being fake or like um, invalid. Interesting. Uh, and you talk about this lack of validity. Do you feel that uh, because you, even though you are Iranian, but you grew up in Canada, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Could you tell me a little bit about just growing up as an Iranian Canadian? Oh, I loved it. <laughs> I mean, it was, I've been raised in a very um, Iranian cultured family. Um, I went to Persian school for 10 years every weekend. Um, I love learning more things and love learning about my culture. Um, it got difficult when I was encountered with situations where I was raised a certain way. But, for example, maybe people in school were raised differently and, and just certain little um, cultural differences where it, they were never anything too big. More so, like, I don't know, there was a party that went in late, like, it went after midnight and I had to be home by 10. Just because, I mean, that's circumstantial too. I'm sure not all families, not all Iranian-Canadian families um, have that type of structure, but that's what I was always raised with. Um, and there was always, in school, there was a question of, I'm, I'm very loud about being Iranian. I don't hide it. I don't, <laughs> like, it's never been an issue that I tried to um, disguise. So that would come with a lot of comments in school whenever something did break out um, in politics and in the news. People would ask you me about it, and they would make comments. And I would, in the moment, it's really difficult to come up with a with a response that captures what you're feeling and you don't want to, I mean, I never wanted to um, necessarily sh shine the same light on Iran that is already mm -hmm. shed on. Um, it, unfortunately, it is usually negative, which is not the true case. Mm -hmm. um, politics are always messy, but the people always persevere and they always keep their hope it's just always been finding a balance of how much do I show, how much do I, um, how can I share my truth without it causing any problems, really, or more questions. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know if that, that was a ramble. but <laughs> <laughs> uh, Just in terms of this openness about your identity, mm -hmm. uh, I just wanted to sort of look into that evolution from... Uh, childlike Nagin mm -hmm. to here we are today. Mm -hmm. um, how did that openness evolve, essentially? No, even just taking out the last few weeks, how is that? Uh, how have you come to the point that you're at today? Um, I was very lucky because I was raised in a community where there were a lot of Iranians. Um, when I was younger, I was more open about it just because I never really saw the other side. I never saw um, the criticism and everything. The older I got, the more I realized that there are some consequences to being so open about it. Um, it didn't really change the way I, I presented myself that much, but it did become a, like a constant thought at the back of my mind that, you know, there might be a point where it's too much. Um, but even then... I've, again, I've been really lucky to have been surrounded with people who share my um, perspective. And um, even within my friends, I am the most uh, cultural enthusiast. I don't know <laughs> how to put it, but um, everyone's just been very accepting of it. I think there are definitely moments like early in January when 
I do want to hide it and I do have a, um, a f- thicker filter, but for the most part, it's just been um, finding a balance, yeah. Interesting. In terms of, you talked about being molded by the Iranian community growing mm-hmm. up um, and how you uh, are a part of it, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I just wanted to know what the reaction has been from the Iranian community over the past few weeks. Just because we've gone through periods where we've had the vigils and then we've mm-hmm. had um, protests, like anti-Iran protests, but then there's been pro-Iran protests. So I just wanted to see uh, if you have any yeah. insight on that. I do want to just correct you right there and say that they're not anti-Iran or anti or, or pro-Iran. They're anti-Iranian government mm-hmm. and pro-Iranian government, which are two very different things. I think that's the biggest issue is that people tend to group the government and the people together. Um in terms of the past few weeks, it's very difficult to say how people have felt. Obviously, pain and grief is the um, deepest emotion that I think we've all felt. It's And disbelief and confusion. Um, within a short period of time, a lot of news broke, each one kind of worse than the previous. Um, but what's important is that None of this is necessarily new. Mm -hmm. These things have really been happening for decades. Um, I think, um, in my opinion, recently there's been a lot more coverage of it just because the U.S. was involved. Mm -hmm. But these types of things are always happening. The people of Iran are always fighting for for justice, whatever they believe that is. Um, And unfortunately... They, we haven't always seen results, um, and a lot of a lot of the protests and and demonstrations have ended in um, many lives lost. But I guess right now we just keep on keep our keep our heads up and keep going and keep looking forward to to hopefully a better future. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Uh... Just to give you a little plug, you can check out uh, Nagin's article at the Eye Opener she uh, she submitted last week. But again, just thank you for coming on, and uh, we wish you all the best. Thank you. The loss of life after Ukrainian International Airlines Flight 752 was shot down by Iranian forces has devastated communities across the globe. Ryerson was no exception. As an Iranian couple, Masa Amalrahi and Mohsen Salahi, on board were alumni. Ryersonian news editor Regina Dixon joins us today in studio to help us get to know the couple and the impact they've had on friends and family. Thanks for joining us, Regina. Yeah, my pleasure. Can you tell us more about Masa and Molson and the relationship they've had here at Ryerson? Yeah, of course. Um, they met at Ryerson, actually. Um, they were in, in the engineering program together. They finished their bachelor's of engineering and then also got their master's here together. Um, They met actually in the Ryerson library, um, either on the fifth or the sixth floor. um, And that was like their special place um, that they kept going back to. And Ryerson was just really important to them from speaking with um, some of the closest friends and family of uh, Masa and Mosen. They said that Ryerson was like a central place for the couple and for their friends as well. 
Absolutely. And you've got a chance to speak to some of their fam- family and friends. Um, what did they have to say about them, specifically towards their character? Yeah, so after speaking with um, one of their close friends, um, Pari, um, I had an interview with her the other day. She said that both of them were just very fun and just really easygoing and um they were really kind, she said, and Mosen, she said, was very, um, like, gentle, and he was more uh, reserved rather than Masa, and Masa was more outgoing, and she kind of pushed them to go out a little bit outside of their comfort zone and be more extroverted. Mm-hmm. And what's some of the favorite memories that were shared to you by their family and friends? Um I would say one that particularly stood out to me was um, after doing um, an interview with Perry, um, their close friend, she said that something that she remembers most was when they were in Calgary. Um, Masa and Mosin were living in Calgary at the time, and Perry and her husband were there as well. And um, she said that Masa and Mosin got their car towed, so they were at the police station waiting um, for like the paperwork and everything, just waiting and waiting. And um, Mo- sorry, Perry got a phone call from Masa saying, listen, our car was towed. We're at the police station right now. And then Perry right away was like, oh, oh, no, like, I'll be right there. I'll help you guys out. And Masa says, no, 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 no. We're OK. I wanted to call you to ask if you would come over to our house tonight to party. And Perry said, What? Like, you're sitting in the police station, your car was just towed, and you're waiting to get your car back. Aren't you, like, scared, and you're thinking about partying tonight? Okay. So anyway, and then she said they went over to um, Masa and Mosin's house that night, and she said they had a great party and had a good time. Mm-hmm. And after these fan- friends and family members heard of the passing, what are they experiencing and how are they feeling after hearing about the downing of the plane? Yeah, so um, Perry told me that last Friday, or I guess the Friday after their death, was the hardest time for her. She said it's because it was um, Masa's 30th birthday, and Masa's birthday was especially Um, significant in their friendship for her because Perry and Masa met actually on Masa's birthday uh, many, many years ago. They met on her birthday, and that's why when she died just a couple days before her birthday, that was especially hard for Perry. Um, And when I spoke with their other close friend, Sina Tehrani, uh, he's known them and at Ryerson, actually, him and Mosen went to high school together, and then they went to Ryerson together as well. Sina was an uh, engineering student as well, and then he actually switched over to business. But anyway, they were friends at Ryerson. He said that he was just in a lot of pain right now. He said that his, and this has had a really big impact on his business, on his like personal life, and a lot of different aspects of his life. So he's, he was, he just sounded kind of like in a lot of pain right now. And that was definitely a difficult conversation to have with someone who's in so much pain right now. And just to hear like their voice 
breaking and pausing to cry and that was very emotional um he said that he's right now just trying to focus on supporting Masa and Mosin's family as much as he can he said that he's just trying to reach out to them to support them in any way that he can well thank you again for joining us here yeah my pleasure really happy to be here thank you and if you're interested in reading more about the story, you can find it at therivesonian.ca. Here's what else we're following this week. On January 21st, the RSU announced that they filed a police report for alleged financial mismanagement from the last year's executive team. According to the union's financial controller at the time, Two executive members had spent around $273,000 on union credit cards for food, clothes, alcohol, and entertainment. It is not yet clear what charges are being investigated or whose names are on the report. Elementary school teachers across the GTA walked out of their classroom on Monday, January 20th to protest recent education changes made by the PC government. This move came after a week of failed negotiations between the provincial government and Ontario's Elementary Teachers Union. The TTC is replacing the last of its old streetcars with the new shiny model. According to TTC spokesperson Haley Waldman, the new Bombardier streetcars are roomier, fully accessible, and more reliable. Although they have a higher capacity than the previous model, this means wait times will go up for commuters. That's all for this week's Blue and Gold. Catch up with us next week for more of your community's top stories. Blue and Gold is a production of the Ryersonian and the Ryerson School of Journalism. Our hosts are Dan Drigo and LaToya Powell, with executive producing done by myself, Lauren Davis. Additional reporting done by Regina Dixon. Managing editor, Isabel Kirkwood and Celine Lociavo. Instructors, Peter Bacchio-George and H.G. Watson. Graphics by Brent Smith. Special thanks to Angela Glover, Lindsay Hanna, Daniela Oleru, and Gary Gould. Music this week provided by We Star. My name is Lauren Davis. Thanks for listening.